gosh, where to start? So I'm with this gentleman over here. Kenneth? Yes. Oh, 1962. COV, Canadian Overseas, no, CVCS, Canadian Voluntary Commonwealth Service from the University of Toronto campus. Yes. And I went to Jamaica yes. and worked with the Jamaica Youth Club Council in 1962, the year that Jamaica got its independence. Wow. <laughs> so that, that was an event. But I was um, all over the island with the Jamaica Youth Club Council. And the main part of the job was in Railway Lane. Uh, the slums of Montego Bay. Most people go to Montego Bay for a fabulous holiday and we were in Railway Lane, which was quite an extraordinary time. Um, but that was to get this nonsense out of my system, so I'd come back to Canada and settle down and get married, and I got it thoroughly into my system, and that's the winter that COV and CVCS combined to become CUSO, and I re-volunteered and I went to India on a one-year assignment, and I came home 12 years later. Wow. So I did four years with CUSO in India, uh, and then eight years with my husband's uh, volunteer organization. Um, actually, we spent the winter at U of T getting ready to go and work in a Gandhian ashram near Calcutta. And that's the year that China invaded India, and there were not funds available for a lot of those volunteer uh, placements. And so that job fell through four weeks before I was to leave for India. And I was reassigned to a Tibetan refugee camp high up in the Himalayas. And in those days, there was nothing. There were no Tibetans in Canada. People knew nothing. I went to the local library in Oakville, Ontario, and got four books on Tibet. And that was my entire orientation for going to work with Tibetan refugees in India. And obviously, in the mountains near Dharamsala, in those days. Uh, after one year and I'd learned to speak the language fluently, I could not say thanks, I've had my adventure. Now that I can be really useful, I'm going home. Um, I was asked by the Dalai Lama and his government in exile to help train Tibetan monks as teachers for the thousands and thousands and thousands of Tibetan children who were being put in big boarding schools all over India um, by the Indian government. And so from looking after hundreds of destitute children in a transit camp, I moved into training Tibetan Buddhist monks as teachers, and I did the two years with CUSO then, and extended for another two years, and CUSO said, the nurse who was with you nearly died, your living conditions are terrible, we made $7.50 a month, we ate the same food as the kids in these terrible living conditions, and so CUSO insisted that I should come home, and that's my story, is that sitting at this table, <laughs> are three of the people who were waiting at UBC to get on the plane to come out to India in the fall of 1965. And I was in the mountains of North India, told to come down and meet the plane. They got off, I was to get on and come home for my two-month leave. But the 1965 war with Pakistan broke out. And I was the missing CUSO volunteer, and I discovered months, years later, that there were all kinds of cables going back and forth across from India to Canada. There were three of us that were missing because we were up in the far north. These guys were kept at the University of British Columbia for two months. two months. They couldn't leave to come to India. I was bombed and then I ended up in a railway station where all the troop movement was going to the north and we were bombed and straight from an there. From an airplane. You were bombed from an airplane. Bombed from an airplane. <laughs> and <laughs> 
got to Delhi and Delhi airport had closed. And then we went by train to Bombay, got the last international flight out of Bombay, were flown to Singapore and waited for five days in Singapore for the train that the plane that should have brought these guys, but they were still waiting in, in Canada, and so the, the Air Force plane dropped the volunteers off in Africa, came to Singapore, dropped off the South Asian volunteers, and picked six of us up. And we came home in this massive transport plane, playing <laughs> football in the aisles with Bill McQuinney, who was one of the forerunners, main guys in QSO, and John Wood, and Steve Wolcombe, and Bill McQuinney's fiance, and I forget who the other person was, but there were six of us on this massive flight uh, coming home. So I came home, went back for two more years, training teachers, looking after children. Um, my friend Kathy here made the mistake of coming to visit me in the mountains in, I don't know, 1966, and I was desperate for help because we were so inundated with children who just escaped from Tibet, and I asked her if she could volunteer and help, and I think you did a whole year. On, after she'd done her two years in Gujarat, she did another year volunteering in our camps in the north. I then was, became engaged to my Tibetan husband. We're about to have our 43rd wedding anniversary. Um, and he had volunteered to the Dalai Lama to go to South India and start a resettlement project, carving a Tibetan resettlement out of 4,000 acres that the Mysore state government had given to the Tibetans. And so I came home, was married in Canada. We went back, and I didn't come home for eight years because we really, we were not, we didn't have QSO backing. Um, we were employed by the Tibetan government in exile that had no money, and so my salary went from $7.50 to, I don't know, maybe 10 or $12 a month. Uh, and I thought I would be teaching in the South, but the health situation was so bad because they were sending us refugees who just escaped from Tibet and we were losing people at the rate of 100 a week. And so I became involved with the Indian medical team who didn't speak Tibetan helped them, and then eventually we got funding, built a 50-bed hospital, and I was asked to staff it, run it, and equip it. So that's what I did for <laughs> eight years. And we had, I married my husband with six adopted Tibetan children, and then we had number seven. Um, and then we came back to Canada, and my life is still totally wrapped up with Tibet. My husband leaves tomorrow to go back to Dharamsala for emergency meetings called by the Dalai Lama. My youngest daughter is a freedom fighter for Tibet has directed all the Olympic stuff from New York, Students for Free Tibet, and she's in the mountains of Dharamsala right now training young Tibetan activists. And so it's been a lifetime of commitment and riches and rewards beyond understanding.